Well, let me invite you to turn in God's Word to 1 Peter, toward the end of your Bibles. Whether you scroll or flip pages, let's look together more closely at how the Apostle begins this powerful letter. Sometimes you can tell a great deal about the contents of a letter by the salutation. That is the opening lines, who you are to the writer may give you a a hint as to what the contents of the letter are likely to be. Um, Dear member of Christ Community Church, dear fellow Republican, uh, to whom it may concern, ma chérie, <laughs> or dear dad, who you are, as far as the writer of the letter is concerned, will probably tip you off as to something of the contents of the letter. And so it is with the salutation of Peter's first epistle. He follows the conventional opening of a first century letter, which, like our letters today, typically had a very brief salutation, although Peter expands on it a little bit, fleshes it out, and in the process says a mouthful about his readers, including us, who still read this as our mail. He gives us a glimpse of what this letter will say to us. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to God's elect, verse 1, or chosen, verse 2. We, according to Peter, are chosen. Election, which, by the way, has nothing to do with political campaigns, is one of those doctrines that is perplexing and occasionally divisive. It's perplexing in that we don't know how to relate God's choosing and our choosing, sometimes uh, explained as the tension between predestination and free will, God's choosing and our choosing. How do those two fit together? This is the subject of many late-night bull sessions in Bible college and seminary, and sometimes the way people answer this puzzle Uh, can be divisive. There are churches that are so convinced that the right answer is so important that they write that answer into their church's doctrinal statement. And you must agree with that position even to be a member of the church. That's the doctrine of election. Well, we're not likely to solve that. We're not even going to try to solve that tension today. Maybe for our purposes this morning, it is enough to to think of the old word picture. Imagine that you uh, approach the gate of heaven and on the arch over the gate of heaven says, whosoever will may come. You enter the gate and you turn around and you look at what's written on the arch over the gate on the inside and there it says, chosen before the foundations of the world. Both are true. And how they relate, maybe we'll understand more fully when we get there, or maybe not. Maybe this will be one of those things for which God will smile and say to us, you're just going to have to trust me on that. Now, even though we're not going to debate the 
tension between predestination and free will, if in fact you even think that there is a tension there, I want to ask you, aren't you glad that you're chosen? Aren't you glad that God chose you if you are one of his people? I had never watched a whole episode of American Idol, but I did see clips from time to time, including one where a contestant was just jumping up and down for joy because she had been chosen to compete on the show. And you can probably remember, some of you, uh, how good it felt to be chosen when two of your classmates were out on the playground selected by the teacher to captain their respective teams and you were relieved that you weren't that guy who was left over at the end and uh, neither of the captains wanted you. You got chosen. How much better, infinitely better it is to know that you've been chosen by Almighty God. <laughs> Not because he needs you on his team. Not because of your talent. Not because of who you are, but in spite of who you are, you have been chosen. The triune God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit wants you, loves you, chose you. According, our text says, to the foreknowledge of God the Father. Verse 2. Chosen according to the foreknowledge of God the Father. Ah, maybe this is the path to solving the tension between predestination and free will. God the Father knows everything in advance. Complete knowledge of the future. And so he looks down through the corridors of history into the future and sees who will freely choose him and endorses their choice by electing, choosing them kind of makes sense. And a lot of people have decided that this is the path for resolving the tension in the Bible's teaching. Uh, but Peter doesn't really go there. He doesn't say that this is uh, what God foreknew. He just reminds us that God knows everything. God is not limited as we are to knowledge of the past and present, and imperfect though that knowledge is, he, uh, he's not mistaken about anything. He's not in the dark about anything. Nothing ever takes him by surprise. He's infinitely wise, and so in his knowledge of all things, he's not waiting with bated breath to see if anybody will respond to his gospel. Knowing the end from the beginning, he wisely chose you and me. And those the Father knows, the Spirit sanctifies. Again, our text, verse 2. Chosen according to the foreknowledge of God the Father through the sanctifying work of the Spirit. Those whom God foreknew, the Holy Spirit sanctifies or sets apart. During the Advent season, in one sermon, I mentioned um, the Langley's sanctified punch bowl. I mentioned that it didn't mean that our punch bowl was somehow morally superior to the Tupperware that we use for iced tea throughout the week. It rather means that that bowl is 
special, set apart for special occasions. And uh, it still hasn't made an appearance yet. Maybe we'll find it when we're putting away our Christmas things. We use it for special occasions. That's the root meaning of holy or sanctified, set apart for special use, God's use. So in the Old Testament, the priests were set apart for God's service, set apart by special clothing, a more restrictive diet, freedom from ordinary employment, set apart to do the work of the temple, the work of worship. It doesn't mean that they were necessarily better people, morally speaking, than the average Joe, although God did want his set-apart ones to be morally holy as well. It meant that they were set apart. And God wanted all of his people, all of Israel, to be sanctified. And God wants the church and you, individual Christian, to be set apart by the Holy Spirit for, and this is where we come to the so far unnamed person of the Trinity, God the Son, Jesus Christ. Now, it's unusual in the Bible to have the Holy Spirit mentioned before the Son. Ordinarily, uh, when the Trinity is named, it is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. But here, Peter wants to end with Jesus Christ because he has more to say about Jesus and the Christ-centered purpose of election. You and I have been elect or chosen according to the foreknowledge of God through the work of the Holy Spirit for, for, for what? For obedience to Jesus Christ and sprinkling by his blood. We have been chosen for obedience, chosen to obey the gospel, to bow to the lordship of Christ. Obedience. You know, sometimes Christians will question their faith, their relationship to God, maybe because they struggle with some persistent temptation, or maybe they're just the doubting questioning type, and they'll wonder, did I really mean it when I was six years old and I prayed with my Sunday school teacher? Did I understand what I was saying? Or they'll wonder, do I really believe this stuff? Is my faith strong enough? Does the fact that I have questions mean that I don't really believe the gospel? And I forget who it was a few years ago suggested what's maybe a better question if you find yourself wondering is it real for you? Maybe you ought to ask, do I ever do something just because Jesus says to do it? Do I ever refrain from doing something just because Jesus says don't do it? That, that may be a better test of the authenticity of your faith. Obedience. Do you, do I, obey him? Or when we fail to obey him, when we blow it, sprinkling by his blood. Thank God there is a solution for our sins, our sins of commission and our sins of omission, sprinkling by his blood. That's why we were chosen. 
Now, it's kind of odd when you think about it. We don't ordinarily view blood as a cleansing agent. I recall a little girl in our church getting a bloody nose one day, and as the blood ran down her face, her mother did not say, oh, look how clean you are. (laughs) But in the biblical view of things, the defilement of sin is cleansed by the shed blood of a substitutionary sacrifice. Look, if you have your Bible open at verse 18 of this chapter, 1 Peter 1, verse 18. You know that it was not with perishable things such as silver or gold that you were redeemed from the empty way of life handed down to you from your forefathers, but, verse 19, with the precious blood of Christ, a lamb without blemish or defect. It's been a couple decades since Mel Gibson's Passion of the Christ came out. At the time, an Italian pastor objected to the film and said he preferred movie versions of the life of Jesus that didn't have any blood. Well, what's wrong with you and me cannot be cleansed apart from the shedding of blood. There is an eternal need in the mind and heart of God for sin to be dealt with by the shed blood of a sacrifice. Now, in verse 18, we're not in the salutation of the letter anymore, and I said at the beginning that the salutation introduced themes that the rest of the letter would carry out. So it is with chosen for obedience and sprinkling by his blood. Read on, verse 20. He, that is Jesus, was chosen before the creation of the world, but was revealed in these last times for your sake. He, Jesus, was chosen. And if you belong to him, you are chosen by virtue of that relationship. You are united by faith to the one who was chosen before the creation of the world, and so you are chosen as well. Now, some of Peter's first readers were slaves, but he reminds them they were chosen by God. Some of them were poor, but they were chosen by God. Some of them were suffering, but they were chosen by God. And he thinks it's important for them to remember this identity. Chapter 2, verse 9. You, he writes in 1 Peter 2, 9, are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people belonging to God, now get this, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. You are chosen, Christian, not just for privilege, but for responsibility. You've heard this note sounded a couple of times already in today's worship service. We have a responsibility to declare the praises of him who rescued us from darkness and brought us into the light. I saw a spoof church slogan online that read, where the worthy worship, unsaved, unwelcome. <laughs> I hope that was a spoof. No, 
We want everyone to hear the good news. We are chosen that we might declare the praises of him who saved us. And we could continue in 1 Peter on sampling texts that speak of our status as chosen. But there's another word in the salutation that we need to focus on. Strangers. Look again at verse 1. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to God's elect, strangers in the world. Foreigners. Resident aliens. Temporary residents living in a place not their own. Now, it may be that Peter's first readers were literal exiles, relocated into a portion of Asia Minor by one of the Roman Empire's periodic um, relocation projects. Uh, And if so, if they were literal exiles, it might seem like this letter is less direct in its relevance to those of us who have never been exiled from home, never been refugees or immigrants, but it surely would, that is, First Peter surely would speak powerfully to our brothers and sisters around the world who are socially marginalized. I'm told that First Peter was a favorite book of Christians living in the former Iron Curtain. I'm told that First Peter is a favorite book of Christians in Muslim Indonesia, where Christ followers are marginalized. But there's a sense in which Christians in all times and places are strangers, foreigners. And it seems to me most likely that Peter is using this word metaphorically as did the writer of Hebrews. In Hebrews chapter 11, that catalog of exemplars of the faith from the Old Testament, the anonymous writer of Hebrews says, that they were strangers on earth. Their citizenship was in heaven. They looked for a better city. This world was not their final home. They didn't live for what this world has to offer. Their values were different. Strangers. At least one commentator prefers the word sojourners because he thinks that the word stranger uh, comes a little bit too close to um, weirdo or oddball, and notes that some Christians seem to go out of their way to be, well, peculiar. In fact, the King James Version for chapter 2, verse 9 says, you are a peculiar people, and there are some Christians who really seem to take that to heart. Maybe Herman uh, was a Christian. I don't know. This older man left home uh, on some errands once, and his wife knew that he would be driving on the interstate, so she was alarmed when she heard a radio traffic report. She called him on his cell phone and said, Herman, be careful out there. I know what route you have to take. And they just said on the radio that some driver is going the wrong way, on the wrong side of the interstate against all this traffic. He said, it's worse than that. There are hundreds of people going the wrong way. Yeah. Uh, Okay, I'm glad glad that you got that. Uh, Maybe 
maybe he was a, maybe he was a Christian, and um, some of us, like Herman, maybe are needlessly clueless. Peter would say, "Look, you don't have to go out of your way to be peculiar, to be strange. People will think you are strange if you simply take the lordship of Christ seriously. What you are going to take a week of your vacation to go on an overseas missions trip?" Instead of going to the beach? That's strange. You mean you're going to take a week out of your life to go up to Door County and be in a cabin with campers? That's strange. But you mean that you give how much of your income to your church? That's strange. You don't worry about the future? You're not afraid to die? You're strange. And the more our culture drifts from biblical standards, the more foreign we are likely to feel. As somebody put it recently, we live in strange times, or else the times we live in make strangers out of folks like me. I'm not sure which. I think Peter would say, oh, I know which it is. Even in our day, way back then, we were strangers. And as with the word chosen, stranger in this salutation tells us something of what this letter is going to be like. Look at chapter 2, verse 11 for a moment. Dear friends, Peter writes, I urge you as aliens and strangers in the world. Those are synonyms. We might unpack them in our study in the weeks to come, but for now, just treat them as synonyms. I urge you as aliens and strangers in the world to abstain from sinful desires which war against your soul. Live such good lives among the pagans that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day He visits us. We're supposed to be different, aren't we? Our behavior is different, isn't it? Our values are different, aren't they? We don't quite fit, do we? Well, the rest of chapters 2 and 3 spell out how sometimes strangers suffer and how we ought to suffer as chosen strangers. Being a resident alien in this world is sometimes painful. I look at chapter 4, verse 3, for example. 1 Peter 4, verse 3. He says, you've spent enough time in the past doing what pagans choose to do, living in debauchery, lust, drunkenness, orgies, carousings, and detestable idolatry. They think it's strange that you do not plunge with them into the same flood of dissipation and they heap abuse on you. They think you are strange that you don't enter into the lifestyle that they enjoy. Years ago, in college days, um, I drove a forklift truck in a warehouse. Can you picture that? Me driving a forklift truck? And on, on break one night, 
one of my colleagues, uh, co-workers, said, so what are you going to do on New Year's Eve? And I said, well, I'm probably going to do what I've done my whole life, go to church. He said, church? I don't think he would have been any more astonished if I had said I was going to have a tea party with my teddy bears. <laughs> church? They think it's strange that you want to be with God's people. They think it's strange that you can have fun without getting drunk. They think it's strange that you wait until you're married to have sex. They think you're strange. <laughs> Who are you, Christian? Who are you, really? According to this letter's salutation, you're chosen strangers. Vertically, your relationship to God is summed up by that word chosen. He chose you. Horizontally, your relationship to others is summed up by that word strangers. And this is your deepest identity. Don't forget in 2023 that you are a consumer, but more importantly, you're a chosen stranger. Yes, you're a voter, but more importantly, you're a chosen stranger. Yes, you're an American, an employee, a retiree, but you are a chosen stranger. Now be what you are. That's what Peter's going to say to us in the weeks to come. Be what you are. I mentioned that anonymous email with the heading, what is the greatest threat to the church in 2023? I wondered if the writer would say, encroaching government interference with religious liberty. Or if the writer would say, um, terrorism, or artificial intelligence, or declining church attendance. I, I, I wondered what he would say is the greatest threat to the church in 2023. You know what he said? Identity amnesia. Identity amnesia. Christians forgetting who they are. Churches forgetting who they are. He might be right. And I think Peter, were he here, would nod his head and say, in this year and in the years to come, Whatever challenges come from the culture, from your own heart, don't forget who you are. You chosen stranger, you. Let's pray about that. Well, thank you, Lord, for choosing us, undeserving though we are. Thank you that God the Son was willing to pay the terrible price that had to be paid if our sins were to be washed away and we were to be sanctified by the Holy Spirit and brought into the community of faith. Thank you for the communion service to follow and the reminder of the body and blood of our Savior. Help us as we conclude this service on the first day of a new year to do what Scripture encourages us to do, to look back and to look forward, to look back on the sacrifice of our Lord that sealed our redemption and forward to the day that Pastor Mike mentioned a few minutes ago 
when we will have face-to-face communion with our Lord and Savior, in whose name and for whose sake we pray. Amen.